morning, everyone. So, um, so I do think what Mark shared is wholly apt for where we are going to be this morning and for the next few weeks, really. And it is sobering hearing news like that as we sit here in the comfort of, you know, materially we're comfortable in the West and certainly spiritually in terms of our faith. By and large, we're fairly comfortable. So it is a good reminder. We are beginning a series in Revelation. So uh, we've had a go at a few things, haven't we? Gender and sexuality, tough questions. And now we say, hey, let's just have a go at Revelation. So we're keeping this uh, big picture, though, over the next few weeks. But I do uh, wonder whether this isn't going to be apt for us, just, just where we're at in the nation. It may not be the full-on rumblings of a storm, but there's kind of maybe the sky's just a little bit grayer than it has been in the past. So uh, I'm going to encourage you in a minute to read Revelation, but please do do that. In fact, it says in, uh, no, we'll leave that, we will leave that till later. Okay, so let's get started here then. So I wonder if you, um, I wonder if you go and see movies and uh, come out of them kind of infected by them. Uh, what do I mean by that? So, uh, you know, I go to see movies and uh, particularly if they're kind of, if it's war or fighting or something like that, you know, maybe Star Wars and there's been Jedis fighting or, yeah, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky, you know, been to see a movie like that. Or uh, that's, uh, that's the film Cry Freedom about Steve Biko, apartheid in South Africa. I saw recently the Oscar-winning film, you know, Green Book, really good movie about kind of friendship across racial divides. And uh, what happens with me sometimes, certainly when I was a younger man, uh, was these things, uh, would, I'd come out, and if I'd seen Star Wars, I'd come out going, woo, woo, with my, that's my lightsaber, by the way. Or uh, Rocky, you know, I'd just go, oh, yeah, a little bit, a little, yeah, anyway, cut. Um, Basically, what happens there is this, that you get immersed in a movie and it gets in your spirit. Maybe temporarily, but it gets in your spirit. Well, I think God, John, wants revelation to get in our spirit. When you see how it's written, and particularly the visual images there, it's written so that it has impact in on us. It's not just intellectual, we're to carry it in our hearts. And so it's written to impact our spirit. So let's read some of it now and just pray the Lord's anointing on it, that it will start to get in our spirit. Okay, so as we read this, just let your imagination go a little bit and just get caught up in it. So let's read it together out loud uh, from Revelation 1. It says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God 
and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May the Lord bless his word to us this morning and through this season. We're in for, we're in for some good subjects, okay? We're doing Revelation in the morning and soon we're hitting the cross in the evening. So you don't get much more Christ-focused than that, and that's good for us as a church. So Revelation was not written as a cerebral exercise. It's not like the letters full of propositional truth, although truth is contained here. But how many of us know that we can kind of believe truth here without carrying it here? And I think truth and belief are more powerful when we carry it here, when there's a conviction in the heart. And John here in, at the start there, we've just read it, says, take it to heart. Start to carry what this says. You see, someone has said Revelation is cinematic. That is, it's full of powerful visual images. It's story. And the writer's ideal, undoubtedly, and as it's read in these early churches, is this, that they got carried up with this, that they got taken out of their circumstances, probably, and caught up in the heavenlies with the message. Eugene Peterson said, I read the Revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. So let your imagination run with the book of Revelation. Let your imagination flow about history, God's purposes for history, for the cosmos, who God is and what it's all about. Let's pray that God lifts us out of ourselves, if you like, and we see the wood for the trees. We see the panorama of God's purposes and not just stay caught up in our day-to-day -day lives, which can happen, can't it? So let's pray it gets 
in our spirit. And I do want to say this. Verse 3 says this. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Now, it was likely it was read aloud. And it said there's a blessing for those who read it aloud and hear it. Although, actually, the translation isn't strictly aloud. But there's undoubtedly a blessing if you read it. So I want to encourage us over this period that we're preaching through this. And I think it's an insight there. You know, Mark next week is dealing with uh, chapters four to eight. So we won't have time to exposit verse by verse as we go through this. So I really encourage you to read it. Put in the work or otherwise it's just going to kind of skim the surface. And what's the point of that? You've got, you're likely to sit here anyway. What's the point of it just not resonating with you? So let's ask a series of questions this morning about Revelation. And firstly this, what's at the heart of it? What's at the heart of Revelation? I wonder if you ever go to a movie and you watch the movie and the movie ends and you go to someone with you. So what was that about? Okay, Inception... For those of us who have seen it, it's a movie for those who haven't. It's about dreams and you enter your dreams and other characters enter your dreams. You're not quite sure whose dream you're in and all of that sort of thing. And I have to confess, second or third time around, I was beginning to get Inception. Okay, the little totem spinning, yeah? Is he still in the dream or not as the totem is spinning? Okay, those of you who have seen it will know what that means. I remember reading one uh, Christian writer saying they went to watch Matrix, and there's three Matrix films, great movies. But by the third one, it's all a bit complex. And this person wanted to, in the cinema, during the third movie at some point, wanted to just stand up and go, right, does anyone get what's happening here? (laughs) Revelation is not written like that. What would be the point of a letter that is so obscure that you don't get it? And I don't know about you, but I've kind of had that feel about Revelation. You know, we're all right up to chapter three, aren't we? The letters to the churches. That makes sense. But then we're into this stuff. What's it about? Well, it's no good if it was written deliberately to be obscure. And verse one knocks that on the head. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation from Jesus Christ or about, it can mean any of those and and in different ways it does. But it's a revelation. The word is apocalypsis, which means unveiling. So, So there's to be an unveiling here. We're to get this. It's not that we're not to get it, we're to get it. There's to be an unveiling. It's as if God is choosing to pull back the curtain on certain realities that sat here in 2019 in our day-to-day lives, we're a bit prone to forget or ignore. And it will do us good to consider them. What was the context then? Well, it was probably written around 96 AD. That's quite popular date amongst uh, commentators. During the reign of the Emperor Domitian, who it's thought started persecution against the church. And we've just heard about persecution. So we, we're beginning to get the feel of how these Christians might have felt. Um, Ali and I uh, met in Peru uh, a few years back now, and uh, Ali spent some time in the mountains where the Christians in Peru were persecuted by a terrorist group called Sendero Luminoso who basically did what Mark was saying uh, that the jihadis are likely to do in West Africa, which is they went for the churches. And some of us are from countries here where churches are under persecution. Nigerians, you know, 
brothers and sisters, know in the north of that country, churches are being persecuted now. We need to pray. Okay, we need to pray for these churches. But, but Ali said that these, these folks would traipse across the mountains to come and gather and visit. And basically there was one, you know, one common trait among them was they were just afraid. They were afraid. They might have been holding on to their faith, but nonetheless they were afraid. Well, John was a shepherd. Jesus is a shepherd. I love the fact that the Bible college, I, I couldn't, uh, Cheryl may know how to pronounce it, Duru Lobo or something. That's, that's exactly what I said, I thought what she said okay it's the bible college of the good shepherd he's always a shepherd to his people in those situations in trial persecution and let me tell you brother sister if you're facing hardship this morning he's your shepherd and he loves to care for frightened sheep he wants to reassure us encourage us to persevere and, and so Revelation had to speak to their context. There are different interpretations, and maybe Mark will get into this. But I think it's a false interpretation of Revelation to say it's all future from the time it was written. It had to speak to them. There had to be enough for them to get a hold of. They were afraid. And so it's not meaningless prophecy. That's not what this book is about. Rather, it's imagery familiar, a lot of it, as we go through, we'll see, from the Old Testament. In fact, there's Material from the Old Testament in every chapter in Revelation. So these Christians would have got a lot of it. Not necessarily the prophetic elements, but it would have spoken to them. And so again, one commentator said, the apocalypse is an answer to the crying needs of persecuted, sorely afflicted believers. And I think there's a bit of a warning for us in this. You see, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read books on Revelation or I talk to people about Revelation and, and some Christians, some of us, and let's not let it be us, where we just go for Revelation. You know, we're just about Revelation. Perhaps you've met Christians like this. This is a website that's obviously out there. I didn't go on it called Rapture Ready. Are you ready for the rapture? You know, and we can meet Christians that just all the time they're watching YouTube videos about the end times and they get caught up with the end times and what's the significance of this creature and that creature and this event and that event. And interestingly, have you noticed a lot of those interpretations are Eurocentric? As if the church isn't worldwide, you know, it's, it's usually something to do with Rome, okay? Rome's in there somewhere and there's, you know, there's kind of reason for that. But we can get hung up. On this. So let's keep the big picture as we read this. Let's interpret Revelation by the rest of Scripture, not just one person's thoughts on dates and all of that, and receive the blessing. It's the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing if you read it, let alone if you understand it. You're promised a blessing just by reading it. Forget understanding it, just to read it, you're promised a blessing. So do it. Why don't we do it? So what's revealed? What's unveiled in Revelation? Well, the future is unveiled. Now, whether at that time a Bruce Willis-like figure steps forward to save us from meteorites hurtling towards the earth, as in the movie, that wonderful, profound, moving movie, Armageddon, okay? Awesome, awesome. But it is about the future. Verse 1. This is written to show what must soon take place. Verse 20, write, John is told, 
what will take place later. It reminds us this, and I, I, if I'm honest, I think I've forgotten this. So my theological background is Calvinism. Now, you can look into that, but one of the things for Calvinism is this. God is sovereign. He knows the future. I think I've lost some of that. Over the way, I think I've softened a bit on that. And, and, it's, and it's doing me good right now preaching it, but preparing this. God is sovereign. He does know the future. In fact, it will be his future. Now, how does that fit with free will and choice? I do not know. But I think you hold the two in tension. He knows the future. He would not have been able to write Revelation if not. That should reassure you. Because whatever you're going through right now, he knows. He knows where that's heading. Liam, he knows how you're going to get on in Manchester with all those manks up there. They're going to be all right. You're going to be okay, Liam. We're going to be praying for you as you face persecution for your brummy act now. <laughs> and he's working it for our good. He knows, secondly, what is revealed about the present. You see, for these persecuted Christians, things were not what they seemed as they are there in the midst, in their tiny little lives, in their location. With the might of the Roman Empire and the full force of persecution coming against them, they needed to see something bigger. And so God reveals the present. And he does this from time to time in Scripture. He pulls back the curtain on the heavenly realm and says, look, in many ways, this is the greater reality. The heavenly realm is the greater reality. We see it in Job, don't we? At the start of Job there, there's that little, little couple of chapters at the start of Job where there's this divine wager, if you like, where Satan comes and says, look, I know I can get at Job and he'll denounce you if you, if you let me get at him. And, and God says, well, you can go so far. And in the light of that, then, we then see the rest of the book of Job. Job, the reading of Job would be really, re- I mean, it's hard work anyway, but it would be really, really hard work if we didn't know God's in control. And Satan is on a leash. Hallelujah. He may snarl and he may bark. And maybe for some of us right now, he's doing that. But listen, he's on a leash. He's on a leash. And do you know what? You have authority. We've been joking. We have a ferocious hound of a dog. It's about that big. But it's excitable. And, and I, by the ladies in my house, I get accused of being a bit soft on this dog, whereas they've got authority over it. But I... I I'm not sure I agree with that. Okay? Yeah, I go on then. Just a little bit. I just, I'm not I'm not detailed person, so I just But anyway, the point is this. But I have noticed if you're firm with the dog, it will do what you want. Be firm with Satan. You know, Jesus quietened the storm and he said, "Shut up. Be silent." And it's the same word I think that people used of speaking to dogs. If Satan is snarling and snapping, brother, sister, this morning, tell him to be quiet in Jesus' name. Plead the blood of Jesus over your life, over your family. If he's seeking to get in and have a go at family, I think I hadn't planned to say this, so it might be from the Lord. I pray it's a word for someone. Take authority. We're going to see Jesus was seated in heavenly places and we are seated with him. You have that authority. All too often, we as believers do not walk in the authority that God gives us. So we see 
Satan's on a leash. And revelation is a thin place. Eternity is revealed. And we do well to remember this. You do know, don't you, Brexit isn't just political and economic. It's spiritual. Everything's spiritual. Whatever's going on in your life now is spiritual. God's at work. It's for us to discern, what are you doing, Lord? I'm not making any comment on where it's going, what's going to happen. I just think, let's realise and pray for the spiritual blessing of this nation through this chaotic process. Human beings, our, our politicians are stuffed, aren't they? They don't know what, I mean, it seems to me, they don't know what they're doing. Well, let's pray God does and his will comes about for our nation, for our good, in his mercy, because we don't deserve it. Thirdly, and this is at the heart of this unveiling, revelation reveals Jesus. It reveals Jesus. And maybe it's a different picture to the one we commonly hold. Verse 1, we're told it's the revelation from or of or about Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of him. You try and find, I mean, just in terms of what, did, what on earth did John see? You try and find pictures, you know, Google images. So preparing this and, and they just don't do it justice. The pictures, just, you know, there's pictures of Jesus with like this nice coiffured blonde hair and, you know, white robe and, and it just doesn't do it justice. The nearest we probably get to it on this earth is like an IMAX cinema, full on. You know, like the, some of the Marvel movies and some of the, the characters in the Marvel movies, that there's just noise and vision and it takes up your full vision. It would have been more like that, but even that is a thousand times too poor. And so John sees Jesus. And we will see Jesus as we go through this book. Sometimes people come up to someone who speaks or they say about preaching and we say, well, it wasn't very practical, was it? How do I, you know, there wasn't much to apply there. And, and sometimes that's true. And I think, you know, preaching has got to land somewhere. It's got to be helpful for us. But let me tell you this. There are times when the most practical, down-to-earth preaching is this, that we just see Jesus that we get him, that we understand who he is, that that gets in our spirit, that we start to believe the things we say we believe. Are there ever times for you in worship when you're singing something and you start to realise, I believe this stuff. Do you know, I really do, but I believe this stuff. Ali, I believe, I believe that. What I'm singing, I realise, I do believe. When we sing about his majesty, he's coming on the clouds. He's the lion and the lamb. He's fighting my battles for me. Blimey, I believe this. That's what needs to happen. As we read Revelation, as we see Jesus, that we start to believe certain things. It's why this activity we're about here is so significant, it's revolutionary, it's countercultural, because there's a world out there that would oppress us and change our mind and give us a certain worldview that doesn't wrestle with the idea that Christ is who he says he is. And so let's 
ask another question that ties in. It's a question at the fundamental heart of day-to-day discipleship. And it's this, who will we worship? Who will we worship? You see, Domitian, this Roman emperor, instituted emperor worship. He had people come in the public square or wherever to an altar, and they had to scatter incense over that altar, and they had to declare, Caesar is Lord. Caesar, kurios, Caesar is Lord. And the problem was this. Christians knew they couldn't do that, or at least many knew, because they knew Jesus is Lord. Now, Domitian, actually, the, the nature of pagan worship at that time was, if you had your little shrine in your home and worshipped your God there, as long as you paid lip service out in the public square to Caesar being Lord, you were okay. But a private, personal deity wasn't enough for these believers. It's why they got into trouble. So let me ask you, brother, sister, is Jesus to you just your personal deity? You come to church, maybe you read the Bible a bit during the week, you maybe pray a bit, but he's your personal deity. But to all intents and purposes, he's not Lord of your life outside of that. That's not enough. He's not a personal deity. He is Lord. And we're to worship him. And this was the challenge to these early Christians. One writer has said this, the unity of the empire, the unity of the state consisted in the worship of Jesus. Sorry, the worship of Caesar. Not worshipping Caesar was disrupting the unity. That's Daryl Johnson. Not worshipping Caesar was disrupting the unity. I think increasingly as Christians, we are disrupting the unity. We live in a society that calls for tolerance. Actually, it's not tolerance at all. It's very intolerant. But it calls for tolerance on issues like morality, sexuality, a whole range of issues. Militant secularism calls for this. And we're the ones disrupting the unity. Well, we find ourselves in the situation then of the early church. And maybe there's a word for us here as we go through Revelation. You see, there's undoubtedly an encouragement to keep worshipping Jesus. There's an encouragement to us to keep worshipping Jesus and declaring he is Lord. Throughout Revelation, we see repeated calls going out to the earth. He is worthy. Praise him. And the elders fall down. And A a numerous multitude falls down. We just see these gatherings throughout Revelation of multicultural, multi-generational gatherings. What we are doing here this morning, what we do when we gather, what we do when we gather in small groups, what we do with believers, when we affirm one another in the truth is significant. It snaps us out of a worldview, a secular worldview perhaps, that would impose its worldview on us, that would want us to think in a certain way, would want us to toe the line and declare, if you like, Caesar is Lord. Well, we're not to do that. And we do well giving ourselves. It's why the writer to the Hebrews says, don't give up meeting together because you can't keep this going by yourself. You need brothers and sisters around you. So we're called to worship Jesus. Well, Who is this Jesus? 
What's unveiled about him in Revelation? Well, we're going to see lots. And even in this chapter, there's a lot, isn't there? He's glorious. His eyes are blazing. His feet are like burning bronze. His voice is like thunder. He's fearsome. John falls on his face as though dead. When was the last time that happened to us? When was the last time we saw Jesus such that we just, we just had to be silent? We just had to let our words be few. We live in a very verbose society. And maybe we're a bit verbose. I think we should pray for this. I think we should pray to see Jesus as he is. We see him as piercing, purifying. He, he walks among the churches. Check him whether their light is still burning. I was, on a personal note or personal to this church, I was so encouraged by the evening we had last night, those of us that were here, to say goodbye to Liam. By his own admission, and Liam will tell you this, his background wasn't ideal. <laughs> Comes from quite a back, broken background. And I was just so blessed as the pastor of this church to think, here's a church that has got around a family that have been through real trauma, like real trauma. Liam's mum died a few years back at a young age, and the four children left, and Liam and Sophie particularly have been with us. And I think this church in some way has loved on them. And so we had a gathering last night to say goodbye to this guy. I mean, firstly, he's a credit to himself. The way he's stayed faithful, to, he's had every reason to jack it in. And he's, he's walked with the Lord. And Sophie's the same, a lovely girl. But just the fact that there was this church, and it was all generations last night, wasn't it? It was great. I hope, as Jesus walked among us last night, he went, well done, you lot. This is good. I like this. Well done. Well done. We want the Lord to walk among us, to make sure our light is shining. And he does that. But let me just quickly end with three things that bookend Revelation. At the start there in the prologue, chapter one that we've read, and in the end, chapter 22, that reveal who Jesus is. Firstly, there's some I am statements. If you have a look, I won't quote all the verses, but Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. He says, I'm the first and the last. This is at the start of Revelation and at the end. There's a reason John put this here. It's to make us take note. And then finally, and this is only at the end, but the meaning is there. He's the beginning and the end. The word beginning there is the word archi, from which we get architect, one who lays foundations or draws up, you know, plans, and archetype. Jesus is the model for humanity. He's the foundation for it all. But also, the end, the word end there is the word telos. It's the word for purpose or destiny. Let me tell you. Whatever's going on in your life right now, whatever your priorities are, whatever you think is important, whatever I think is important, be it church or ministry, let me tell you, Jesus is at the centre. Jesus is at the centre. And we do well to line up with him. 
He's the purpose of it all. We can look back into the past and he's there. We can look forward into the future and he's there. We can look at anything in between and there he stands. Jesus at the center of it all. That's revealed. Secondly, this Jesus is coming back. That's revealed. One day, he, we are going to see, not literally, but right across the sky, we're going to realize this is the end. This is the end now. All that stuff we've read has now happened. It is coming. Jesus is going to come and wrap up human history. He's going to judge the earth. He's going to call us to account for how we've lived our lives. And it's not going to be whether it's been good or bad and, you know, how many good deeds and how many bad. It's not going to be weighed like that as it is, for example, with Islam. It's going to be one question. What have you made of my son? What have you made of me? Have you been trusting me? Have I been Lord of your life? That's the question. He's coming. And thirdly, he will come and restore everything, by the way. He'll wipe every tear. I love it when he breaks in now and some of that happens, that healing. But one day, everything. One day, everything will be restored. Thirdly, he tells us this is happening soon. Soon? 2,000 years since the last time. Yeah. But in comparison to eternity, that is the twinkling of an eye. And we do well to remind ourselves of these things, brothers, sisters. It puts our jobs in perspective. It puts our bank balance in perspective. It puts those relational issues in perspective. It's Jesus at the centre and we're to live wholly for him. So let me finish by asking these questions. Are we ready? Are we ready for his return? Are there areas of his life that when he returns and that piercing light shines that, that we're going to be embarrassed about, frankly? Or are we, to the best of our ability, walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, living to please him, laying it all down? I know, I know, I know we stuff up. I know we make a mess of it. I mean, we probably don't think we're doing particularly well. But fundamentally, as we come before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit, if there's not conviction there of sin, then it may just be we're doing okay. Let's keep our account short, though. Let's ask forgiveness when we're doing wrong. But fundamentally, are we living to please him? And in the light of that, in the words of the penultimate verse of Scripture, is everything in our heart crying out and saying, come, Lord Jesus, come, come again, finish it all, restore it. Is that what's in our hearts? I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Alf, challenged earlier about submission to the Holy Spirit. If there's one thing I'd say in terms of response and how we might respond to that, it's this. Is Jesus Lord? You're submitted to the Holy Spirit 
if you submitted to Jesus as Lord? Is Jesus Lord? Are you living to please him? Actually, I think it would do some of us good to declare he is Lord. Maybe you're going through stuff right now and it's, it's difficult. I think it would do you good as we sing this, as we worship, Jesus at the centre of it all, to declare he is Lord of that situation. As I sing this right now, I'm going to declare you, Jesus, Lord. Father, I pray, as we come now and respond to you, move among us, move among your church. Tend to the individual lamps that are here. And as you do that, as you minister, may we shine brilliantly for you. Come, Holy Spirit.